So as most of you probably know, uh, the MYF, accompanied by Daryl and Marlisa, went to Guatemala for 12 days at the beginning of this month. And the trip was a mix of educational activities, tourist attractions, service projects, and interacting with the people that are living in Guatemala. So everyone's just going to take a few minutes and tell you about some of the favorite things that we did. And we're going to keep the pictures going. So hope they're not too distracting. Uh, hello, I'm Sam, and I'll be talking about the purpose of the trip. A few years ago, I remember watching a stand-up comedian, Louis C.K. The, the subject of his bit is a college-age woman who goes overseas to help people in underdeveloped nations. Although I don't quite remember all of his sketch, the gist is that Louis C.K. makes fun of her self-righteous attitude and the idea that her work will seriously do anything to change people's standards of living. And there's truth to CK's mockery of her attitude. The attitude that by visiting an impoverished region and doing some physical labor, we are somehow doing those in poverty rampant nations some huge favor. The fact of the matter is that a handful of Westerners spending a couple of weeks or months or even years is not really going to physically change the situation or the problems that people face. For example, for all the work we put into constructing a soccer field at Bezalel Boarding School, we probably got less than a tenth of what needed to be done. Honestly, in terms of physical work, it probably would not have really mattered if we had worked at all. I recall Daryl making a very telling statement with a similar sentiment before the trip. He said that if we were really concerned with improving the situation for people in Guatemala, we would wire them over the, the over $10,000 that we raised for the trip which is completely true. So this left us with the question of why are we going to Guatemala, or what is the purpose of our trip? Luckily, we had Daryl Marlisa, two individuals with significant experience involving international aid and cross-cultural trips to help us formulate and try to answer this question. Two people who are already well aware that 10 youth doing a combination of work, interaction, and tourism in the course of a week and a half were going to change little to nothing in the material sense. So before the trip, we tried to come up with a working answer to this question. I forgot our exact wording, but we agreed that we were going to Guatemala to work, learn, and build connections. Before the trip, I confess that part of me just saw these as empty words, overused by numerous church and development groups that have embarked on the exact same sort of trip we were planning. It wasn't until we were on the trip itself they started appreciating our answer. The longer I was on the trip, the more that I understood it wasn't about a paternal attitude of helping those in need. It was about us helping ourselves. It was about us learning about a new culture, meeting new people, bonding with the people in our youth group, building experiences, etc. I can honestly say that I have a more whole perspective on this world because of this trip. I could go on and on about specific examples from learning about Mayan history and culture to playing basketball with the kids at Bezalel Boarding School. And I guarantee that every single person in this youth group feels that their perspectives have changed for the better because of the time that they had on this trip. Actually, many of them are probably going to tell you about some of these priceless experiences in a few minutes. So thank you, members of our congregation, for making this trip possible.
video. Many of you were around the Sunday before we left in which Dawn gave this water bottle to our group to take with us. And she talked about using the water bottle um, with the imagery of taking things with us to share and also very much bringing things back and having our water bottle filled by the experiences there. Um, so during the trip, uh, we had paper slips uh, every evening when we had our gatherings and people could write whatever random snippets they wanted and now you get to hear what some of these are. Randomly. Have some. Guatemala is very pretty. Happiness is not determined by wealth. Realizing the magnitude of poverty associated with the Guatemalan garbage dump economy. Let's see, Josh, you're Josh next. Josh and Jana. Josh and then Jana. Um, I'll be speaking on cultural, cultural diversity in Guatemala. Guatemala certainly is a very diverse country when it comes to people's different economic situations. Traveling through Guatemala City and the surrounding country was truly an eye-opening experience. Guatemala City is in a very mountainous region which limits building space. This means that all of the poor must build their houses at the edge of cliffs and ravines. Their houses are all constructed out of cinder blocks with metal roofs. If you didn't already know this, it rains a lot in Guatemala. These rains often cause landslides which will sweep the houses off the cliffs. Since these people own so little already, the last thing they need is to have their house washed off a cliff. Sadly, this happens too often. To contrast all of the poverty we saw in Guatemala, we drove to the richest part of the city. Going there made me feel like I was back in the United States again. There were restaurants all over the place, along with shopping malls, car dealerships, gated communities, and tall buildings. We were told that these rich citizens often buy their children plane tickets so that they can fly to Miami and do shopping there. The cultures of Guatemala are also quite diverse. A great example of this would be the indigenous communities. These communities are separated by 22 different languages, even though they are all of mine descent. The indigenous people live in rural areas where they grow enough food to survive, even though many are malnourished. They survive on corn tortillas, rice, and beans, which, by the way, is about all we survived on for 12 days as well. These indigenous people have hardly any voice in the government. This means that the government can do whatever they want with their land. Even as I speak, foreign companies are constructing hydroelectric dams on the river that the indigenous people have always used. Any negotiations between the companies and the people living on the land fail. Upon leaving the indigenous areas and traveling back to the city, it was easy for me to see the differences in the way people lived. There were no farms because people went to the market to get their food. There were no open spaces and hardly any trees, only building after building. Everything was covered in smog because of all the old cars and armed guards stood outside of every building while soldiers and policemen patrolled the streets. 
As the trip progressed, I seemed to become more used to constantly walking past the soldiers and guards carrying shotguns and assault rifles. There are lots of cultural differences between the rich and the poor people of Guatemala, along with many differences between the indigenous people and the Ladinos, who are the non-indigenous people. A cement soccer field? Really? This was my first reaction to a work project at the school Bezalel. At my school, the field is astroturf, several inches of rubber bits, and fake grass. In comparison, cement sounded almost inhumane, until, of course, I saw the current field. It was dirt, not grass, dirt. Except it wasn't fun, just tilled, comfy dirt. It was clay. Rock-hard clay with bumps and protrusions everywhere. This field made falling on cement look like a really good idea. <laughs> then I learned just how difficult this job was going to be. George, Sam, our driver Raul, and I started moving a massive pile of gravel three-quarters of the way across the soccer field. We didn't have a wagon. We had three wheelbarrows. We didn't have a bulldozer. We had two shovels. What were the others doing? Well, their job made ours look fun. They were digging ditches in rock-hard clay with pickaxes. They were also literally leveling the playing field with a hoe, only one hoe. Some shovels to clear where the dirt were also in use. By the end of that workday, the field had been leveled very slightly in one corner, a ditch had been dug with the wrong dimensions, and the dent in the gravel pile could have been more accurately described as a dint. The next morning, I saw another reason for the cement field. The rain had turned the field into a mud bath. This turn of events did not help the work progress well. Have you ever tried to push a wheelbarrow through seven inches of mud? It's hard. And then, just as we were beginning to feel actually useful, we were invaded by a mob of students who attacked the job and started accomplishing things twice as fast as we were. Maybe faster. They solved the mud problem by attaching ropes to the wheelbarrows and pulling while another pushed. We thought that the first couple of days were hard. That is, until we actually started to do cement. It took four guys to lift and dump a box of gravel into the mixer. Someone was needed to turn the wheel of the mixer and control it. I'm not entirely sure George's back is okay yet. Apparently the wheel required some muscle. I'm sorry to say that the... <laughs> I'm sorry to say that the easiest job was done by the girls. We shoveled gravel into the boxes. Saying that that was the easy job does not mean that it was actually easy by normal standards, just that it was slightly less strenuous than the others. There were wheelbarrowers. They moved full wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow of liquid cement through the mud and usually dump it in the correct spot. And you know what? We actually hit our groove and could work about as fast as the students. We did other stuff as well. We made pizza with the baking class, and several youth helped to teach an English class. This helped us to see, more than anything else, that this truly was a work and learn trip, not a service trip. Service implies a useful action. The money that we sent was the useful part, not the work that we did. For us, the work was a learning experience that will stay with us for a long time.
the roads in Guatemala are paved to benefit the more privileged people of the community. No matter how little you have, you can still be generous and hospitable. And one that we would like to read or write for invent. the for invent for for all of you is if you share water bottles, you're likely to share the flu. Um, after working at the school in Bezalel for a few days, on Thursday afternoon we drove down to Samuk Champi National Park where we would spend the first half of Friday. The National Park was absolutely amazing. When I first walked into the park, it felt as if I had walked into a jungle. There were trees everywhere and everything was so green. So the first thing that most of our group did was start the long and steep hike up to the lookout point where you could see the whole park. The hike was incredibly strenuous, and I quickly fell behind for most of our group. But the whole hike was worth it when I finally reached the top and saw the view from the lookout point. The view was astounding. It felt like I could see everything. When I looked down into the National Park, I could see the series of naturally formed blue-green pools that flowed from the previous one to the next one until it finally flowed into a huge waterfall. It was so amazing and it's hard to find just the right words to describe how it looked. Those pools are where we swam after we hiked down from the lookout point. The swim felt extremely refreshing after that hike we had just completed. After we had swum for a while, we packed up our stuff and headed back to the van where we prepared for the drive back to Bezalel. However, our drive back to the school hit a couple of speed bumps. You see, it had rained recently, and, and we were driving on gravel roads in an area with a lot of hills. So to get to the point, our van was unable to get up those hills by itself. Um, this meant that we would have to get out of the van and help push it up the hills. It was quite, oh. <coughs> it was quite strenuous work, or at least that's what it looked like. I wouldn't know because I was sitting in the very back of the van with a few others from our group being dead weight. <laughs> Though it is pretty amazing how many people can fit in an area that's only designed to fit four people. I think at one point we had about eight people back there. <laughs> Though I do have to admit that the harder job was probably pushing the van up the hills. Luckily though, the people that had to push the van up the hills only had to do it a few times. After that, we were back on our way to Bezalel and the rest of the drive was smooth. Yeah, so the night we spent at um, Samuk Champagne National Park, which you just saw, um, Jacob, Sam, and I found ourselves in a room with two of our traveling companions that we really didn't know that well. Um, neither Raul, our ever-faithful bus driver, nor Samuel, a Guatemalan youth, spoke English at all. 
Um, I prepared myself for an evening chock full of awkward communication barriers that I thought were unavoidable under the given circumstances. But as the night progressed, I was very surprised to find the interaction with these two men much easier than I had first suspected. Over the course of one night, five people from two very different parts of the world lowered all social and personal boundaries and just got to know each other a little better over a deck of cards. And let me tell you, those guys, those guys caught on to scum faster than when I learned, and I was taught by English speakers. So, yeah, they even they even won a few rounds. <clears throat> it was out of our comfort zone, but definitely became worth it when we not only gained friends, but also gained experience in building bridges of understanding between people who seem extremely different than us, but are actually very much the same. I would have never had the courage to branch out on communi and communicate on my own, however. That's where our driver, Raul, comes in. With his ever-positive attitude towards just about everything, the language barrier never discouraged him. If Raul wanted to tell you something, he would tell you by any means necessary, even if this meant wildly gesticulating and slowing down his Spanish, even though it didn't really help. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it was, it was the attempt that really mattered, um, just because it showed us that he really did want to try to communicate and get to know us better. Um, most drivers will remain with the bus and read or sleep while the passengers do whatever they want during the day. Not Raul. He was always with us through the thick and thin. Um, when there was work to be done, you could bet that Raul would be right in the middle of it, working with inspiring fervor. His positive outlook on life, as well as his worth ethic and easygoing nature, was motivational to me, as well as many of the others, and I know I can count on him among my friends. Before we left, I didn't really know what to expect in regards to the overall financial situation in Guatemala. I knew that there was a large wealth gap with the indigenous natives at the bottom and the incredibly wealthy at the top, and that was where my awareness ended. We spend parts of our trip with indigenous Kechi people, and their simple ways of life were probably around what I was expecting to see. Later on, we visited a dump in Guatemala City. Now, I couldn't really say that we visited it, more that we saw it and smelled it from a distance. At first, all I saw were these gigantic mounds of trash being sorted through by tractors and trucks. 
Once I looked for a couple of seconds, I realized that there were people crawling and sorting through the garbage. They looked to me like colorful little ants, climbing around on heaping piles of trash with one goal in their mind, to find something. There were far too many to count. After I stared blankly at the dump for a little while, I came to the realization of how shocking and scary this was to see. I was informed that people actually live in the dump, attempting to make, mon uh, attempting to make enough money to survive by sorting through trash, but they didn't even get first pickings out of the waste. The men employed to dump the trash take anything that appears valuable to them. I was also told that the people who live there, including children and inf infants, are most likely constantly sick from the parasites and bacteria they're constantly being exposed to. This part of the trip was a horrifying but important experience to me. Not only did I witness such a large amount of poverty firsthand, I found some symbolism in it. These people, who are loved by God exactly as much as us, are literally the bottom feeders of society. They file through the waste of the middle, upper, and even lower class, hoping to find something valuable for themselves. Yet every day, they trudge on, realizing that if they gave up, their families would starve. I feel like we can learn a lot about humbleness and hard work from these bottom feeders. One of, my most memorable <coughs> one of my most memorable experiences from the MOIF Guatemala trip took place on the second to last day of the trip. On this day, we visited a preschool in Carenza, just outside of Guatemala City. As soon as we arrived, it was evident that there was an extreme cultural barrier between our group and the preschoolers. They didn't know a speck of English, and judging by the look on their faces, I would have to guess that they've seen hardly any Caucasian people before. After we met the people in charge of the preschool, MYFers and preschoolers walked up to a grassy field where we would take care of them for the remainder of the morning. Some of the people working at the school brought us some snacks and we sat around a couple of trees and talked. At first, the children were very timid and hesitant to interact with us, at least from my experience. Me and Sam tried to talk to some of the kids in some basic Spanish, but they either didn't answer us or nudged a couple feet away. However, soon the preschool teachers brought out some balls for the kids to play with, and the mood completely changed. Whereas the preschoolers were shy before, when we had something fun to do that connected with us, they became the, they became the most energetic bunch I've ever seen, and they loved playing with us. I noticed one of the boys who seemed to be playing with me more often than the rest, and he eventually encouraged me over to some soccer posts and had me play goalie and try to block his shots. I ended up playing with him for the rest of the morning. It even got to the point where, when the other kids would try to come over and shoot on me as well, he would shoo them away so he could play exclusively with me. I tried asking his name in the best Spanish I could muster, but I couldn't understand his response. So I ended up asking one of the adults there, and she told me his name was Douglas. When our morning ended, we gathered all our stuff up and headed back to the preschool. Douglas walked next to me the whole way back. As we arrived back at the preschool and said our farewells, one of my most me meaningful memories from our Guatemala trip was Douglas giving me a hug and saying adios, adios, over and over again to me as we left.
Playing cards can be a substitute for language. We learned about the huge process of making coffee from Don Miguel. There are always certain things you expect when you go on a trip, and certain things you don't. Upon going to Bezalel, we were eager to interact with the students, even though most of us didn't know their language. But we had a good time with them playing sports and stuff like that. We were promoted. We were prompted on what to do, and we met the catchy people. Act friendly, even though not a single person in our group knew their language, and try to do everything. Try to do what everybody else was doing and accept all the food that was served to us by the catchy people. We had not, however, been prompted for when we met the group of Southern Baptists from North Carolina <laughs> who believed the rapture was coming in two years and we all need to be ready for it. They were staying at the same guest house as us for most of the time duration that we stayed at that particular guest house. They caught me by surprise. I, was, I wasn't ready for them. Had it been later in the day, I might have been able to. I might have been willing to debate them, but early in the morning, and ha me having just woke up, I was trying to be friendly, but thinking to myself, "Wow, where'd they come up with this theory?" I later regretted not having debated them. They had research papers and a full sermon written up, and the guy in the group, who I assume his name was William. Or he said to me, we're just going to leave our papers here in case you and your group are interested in reading them. And have a pen, he says. These pens were bright green, and on them they said, I'm rapture ready, or you? They make great conversation starters, he said. Well, I took their papers home for two reasons. One, because I was intrigued about where they were getting their information. Actually, I already knew that part. And two... What made them think that the current events in Israel had anything to do with when the world was going to end? I still have those papers. They're sitting on the floor in my room. So if you're ever in the mindset that the world is going to end, it'll cost you 20 cents, but feel free to stop by and read the papers. When we went to Guatemala, the second day, just one day before we left, we went. We left for Antigua. We met um, Rachel Peachy, which is Titus and Linda's daughter. We hiked up a volcano to um, see the farms and see what they took and like they took to make coffee. And then Rachel's um, father-in-law showed us how they um, how they make coffee. It took like um, 40, 45? No, the, um, the days, the certain amount of days they took to make the pick the beans out. 40 days to pick the beans, the braped ones, and even though they try not to, they try not to pick the green ones, they fell off, they fell off even, evenly. And then they showed us 
how the actual make coffee. First, you gotta um, take the shells off and make them into one pile. And then you um, roll them. You roll them to make gr the ground ones, the ground, and then you um, put them in a. In a uh, Yeah, water, and then you make, see how it's made. It was amazing, actually, because it, cause when he was, he w when he was talking, I got, it was, it was so amazing how he, uh, um, had us bought, buy the coffee for eight, no, for eight dollars a pound. For us, it was, it was like a dollar, I think. A dollar, right? Eight dollars for us. And it was amazing how they um, had the, like different kinds of coffee. It was like ground coffee or um, it was like dark. It was not ground yet. Thank you. Um, I saw a poster the other day on how to build global community. And when I read it, I just thought that it described our trip really well. Um, some of the tips it gave were honor indigenous cultures. Notice the workings of power and privilege in your own culture. Know how your lettuce and coffee are grown. And don't confuse your comfort with your safety. And I think these are all things that we learned to do on this trip. And we just want to thank you for that. Uh, without all your support in our fundraising and all of your prayers, we wouldn't have been able to do this. So we want to thank you for all of your help and for giving us the opportunity to help build our global community. <laughs>